Welcome to the 100th unicorn episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guests whose willingness to share their story early on paved the way for fellow advocates like myself, Scott Johnson and Carrie Sparling. If you're new to the show, welcome and happy new year. <laughs> My name is Amber Kluwer and I'm the co-founder of Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. And what better way to ring in the new year than with a shits and giggles conversation with my friends Carrie and Scott, who are using their voices to make a difference. We have over 100 years of diabetes under our belts, and none of us are shy about sharing the highs and lows of living with type 1 diabetes over the decades. Yes, decades. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and listen to the whole episode because we cover all kinds of topics, many of which will give you a good laugh. I mean, there may or may not be a burp involved, just saying, all the way to the end. But before we get started, I do have a few quick announcements to start your year off right. Number one, <laughs> a shout out to the DDG believers who invested in this episode to help me reach the diabetes masses. Please take a moment to check out the show notes to learn more about who made this unicorn episode a reality. Number two, just in case you didn't know, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit organization. Your kind donation helps keep the lights on and the episodes coming. It's easy to get involved. You can make a donation on the website or contact our crew about partnership opportunities at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. We play well in the diabetes sandbox and would greatly appreciate your support. Number three, the affiliates page is live. So many exciting things on there. Be sure to check it out. And the new podcast series, Just the Facts, Please, is just around the corner. So stay tuned. And finally, I want to thank you for listening. Your kind words and social engagement is so important to me. This level of connectivity fuels my fire. And I promise you, Dia Peeps, this is just the beginning. Let's get started. All right. I am so excited to finally record the 100th episode, the unicorn of all of the podcasts. And I'm so happy to have two friends here. One, uh, Scott, I've known for quite some time and welcomed me into the diabetes community. And Carrie is someone that I've had the opportunity to get to know, but not as close as I would like to. So uh, thank you both for joining me. And we'll start with just say your full name and where you're calling in from. Scott Johnson, and I am joining from sunny San Diego, California. And I'm Carrie Sparling, and I'm calling in from like 20 inches of fresh powder in Rhode Island. <laughs> kind of jealous. I'm here in San Antonio, and it's beautiful. So it's about 70 degrees, and I will hopefully go for a long walk to decompress after this interview. But um, I'm excited that we can connect literally from all over the, the United States. That's pretty cool now that I'm thinking about it. So I want to start with saying how I got to know both of these diabetes characters and how instrumental they've been in my life and why the Diabetes Daily Grind and the podcast has grown because of their strength in the very beginning. So Scott and Carrie both started a blog, and we'll get into why they started it here in a second, but I never knew that anybody was out there, and I wasn't looking at blogs. I don't even think I knew what a blog was when we started everything. And and just knowing that these people were out here and connecting with them and reading their stories, I'm like, oh my gosh, they get it. And they, I've never talked about this. And so Scott was awesome 
I remember, yeah, you gave us a shout out or something because you listened. Well, because you, I listened to, I listened to an early episode of the Diabetes Daily Grind. And I remember I will, this is, this is a moment I will never forget because I was walking through Walmart of all places because that's where magical things happen. <laughs> um, shout out to a buddy of mine, George Simmons. That's another magical Walmart partner of mine. And in mid-episode, you and the rest of the crew were enjoying some brews or something, and and you let out this awesome burp in mid-episode, and I was like, holy cow, Amber just burped on air? Like, this is real-life diabetes and all its magic and everything right there? I'm going to – I'm in. Like, I love it. It's so fun. And you gave us a shout out. And I was like, oh my gosh, I thought they were going to edit that out. I was like, I was drinking a really good craft beer and it was from a can. I mean, it was, I had no choice. And so that was nice. And then Scott and I had connected um, at a, a another event and he always welcomes people with open arms. And that's wonderful because whether that's virtually or in person, he's open to getting to know more people. And then Carrie was somebody that I connected with more in person. And I say that loosely at a children with diabetes, friends for life, gathering, conference, whatever you want to call it. And she was the first person I'd ever met, I think in person, that was pregnant. I was very pregnant when we met. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like literally about to pop. And I I just, I was like, oh my gosh, it was like, you were kind of like this little unicorn cruising through because I'd never seen anybody. And it was, it was awesome. And you were so, such a big part of that conference and a speaker and all those things. So you gave a lot of hope for, especially I want to say the female audience, but it was really looking back one of those moments. I was like, wow, she did it. I appreciate you saying little. <laughs> I'm just going to go back to that for a quick minute. Cause I think I gave birth like two weeks later and it was, um, there's nothing small about those moments in Orlando, like eight months pregnant. So thank you. <laughs> well, and you have two children. Mm-hmm. Yep. So 10 and four. 10 and four. Yeah. 10 and four. So I have so many women in social groups and social media things that are excited to get pregnant. And what does that look like? So I I really love some of the women in my life that are poster children. And I don't like that word necessarily, but you give them hope. And um, I'm sure you're able to speak with women if they're curious about what a pregnancy is like. Sure. And it was, um, I mean, I was one of the later people who was having kids. Like I remember watching Nicole Johnson pregnant with her daughter and thinking, oh, that's awesome. That's a real person with diabetes who's having a real baby with diabetes. And I wanted to have that someday. So just seeing people walking around doing the like the normal life things that you're interested in also yeah. doing is awesome. It's really, it makes you feel like there's, there's hope, especially at my diagnosis where they were like having biological children is something that we don't necessarily encourage at this point. And boy, that's really changed. So yeah. And okay. So that's the next part I want to get into. If you don't mind, and Scott, we'll start with you and Carrie, then follow up with you is if you'll give a little brief diagnosis story, because even though we're all diagnosed with the same disease, sometimes those diagnosis situations are very different. Yeah. So it's, um, it'll be pretty short because I'm getting old and I can't remember much from back <laughs> then. Um, <laughs> but it, so I was diagnosed at the age of five. This was back in 1980. And um, I got real sick real fast. Uh, I think the very typical DKA experience. And um, I went in and uh, to the doctor's office. And shortly after then, like like very shortly, immediately, was 
off to the hospital. And, yeah. and in those, in those days it was, you know, like a, a week in the hospital to get sort of uh, situated and, and figured out. Um, my mom, uh, she was a nurse for, for her, her whole life. And so I think she was very comfortable with kind of the medical aspects of diabetes, the shots and, and, um, and needles and things like that. And so I think there was a, a comfort level from her side of parenthood in managing some of, of that aspect of it. But I also have to imagine that her time in the hospital meant she also saw, you know, the scary complications yeah. of people, you know, dealing with the yucky end of diabetes. And that must have been really difficult for both of my parents. Um, and Scott, what year were you diagnosed? 1980. Okay, so I'm 1984. And mm-hmm. I, I want to say something to that. So when you say you were in the hospital for a week, like I remember I was there for almost two weeks. Uh, my mom brought my roller skates. I would roller skate around the hospital floor and all these things. So I think it's so crazy that we got ample time in the hospital. I mean, and, and today I feel bad for, for the newly diagnosed because sometimes it's not an overnight stay. It's a backpack and you move on. And I just, it's weird that I'm glad that we had time in the hospital. So it's an interesting point. And, and I remember, I, I don't think it was necessarily right in that week, but this, it was a big family affair for me. And, and I think that that, um, you know, I, I listened to especially many of the psycho psychology uh, resources that, that I've met through uh, children with diabetes, for example, yeah. who will say that, that when families come and, and surround the person with diabetes. That's a that's one of the, the keys to success. But I remember um, both sets of grandparents coming and attending diabetes education classes, uh, which I, I feel I feel really blessed to have had such support. I know that not all families have mm-hmm. have access to such a you know such a stable uh, family system in the first place. But then to have right that interest and support in my diabetes, it's, it's really, really something special. And I, I don't take that for granted. Well, and I want to ask too, Scott, uh, with your mom being a nurse and in the medical community and knowing all the needles and the ins and outs of things, did you take charge right off the bat or did she? Um, I, I, I imagine that being only five years old, there was only so much I could do, but I do remember wanting to be in control of my shots as early as, as I could, um, there was just something that kind of creeped me out about someone else giving my shots to me. So <clears throat> I don't remember. Like I still, I still can't handle somebody else giving me a shot. Yeah. Especially a yeah, I don't remember how old. Right. Yeah. There was just something about it. So I, I did, I did take control as early as I could. I don't remember how old I was, but, um, but yeah. All right, Carrie, what about you? Let's talk about your diagnosis story. Sure. So I was diagnosed in 86. So all of us around the same time, and I didn't have any real symptoms or issues other than I had started to wet the bed prior to my diagnosis. And I was seven at the time and just, I'd been potty trained for a long time. So that was a red flag. Um, my parents bought a pee alarm. I've told this story a couple of times at like conferences and it blows people's minds because they had this, this device that you would connect on the inside of your underpants. And I had two metal mm-hmm. connection points. And if there was any liquid that came between those points, it would create, you know, the connection. And this alarm would ring out from my underwear in the middle of the night. And so I'd have to go like running down the hallway and my parents would have to disconnect it. But they thought it was 
just some kind of normal kid regression thing. They didn't know that that was the big symptom of my diabetes. And I was diagnosed in September of 86 after like a regular pre-second grade um, pediatrician appointment where they found sugar in my urine. And I think I'm, I'm almost sure that my blood sugar was 248 at diagnosis. So I was really lucky to miss a lot of mm-hmm. um, the stressful and, and dramatic, for lack of a better word, diagnosis stories that a lot of people um, have had. But like both of you, I stayed in the hospital for 12 days first at the Rhode Island hospital where my mom was given good information. um, And we were sent home with a urinalysis kit because that was what she chose, even though home glucose testing was available at the time, because we didn't have any nursing background or diabetes experience in our family history. And so she was starting completely from scratch. And so I ended up being admitted to the Jocelyn Diabetes Center. I believe it was December of the same year to do another 12 day stay to get what we considered the best education that was available for our family um, at the time. And my, like Scott, my family was very supportive. My grandma learned how to give my shots. My aunts learned how to give my shots. Even though one of them learned by putting the needle in and pulling the the whole thing out and going, great, I did it. My mom was like, no, you didn't press the plunger. So we had to do the whole thing over again. Um, And then, I mean, my father wasn't as involved in the day-to-day care, but I know that he worked hard to make sure that my mother was able to basically move to part-time work and stay home to manage this new normal. And I have an older brother and a younger sister, so I'm sure her hands were, were very full. But uh, also, yeah. like Scott, I don't totally remember a lot of it. And as I've gotten older, um, the life before diabetes, it's this very pale, sort of hard to focus on memory. And most of my life that I remember clearly is after diagnosis. In a lot of the social media groups that I'm a part of, the people that are diagnosed in their teenage years and early college, I, all I have to say is bless your heart. I mean, because, you know, the only thing I remember, I mean, the only thing that I said when I was diagnosed was, you know, no more Snickers. What do you mean? No more Dr. Pepper? Because they were like, you can no longer eat sugar. So then the reality came in of getting shots and what this actually meant. But I really don't remember life before. And it wasn't like I loved sweets. but. Um, then your diabetes life became the new normal, and that's all that I've ever known. I want to say one weird thing to that. Right. Let's just say this unicorn world that we're living in, you're cured with diabetes today. Whatever that looks like. No more shots, no more anything. What are you going to do? And let me, really, let me preface that a little bit differently. I think I would have to go through like years of therapy to not think about my blood sugar all the time. Like, how do you turn that off? You can eat whatever you want. I'd eat a fried chicken. I don't know. I mean, like, what, what, what all you would do? So, yeah. I think, I think my, not to me, it would be a day-to-day thing that I would notice the biggest change of, but we mentioned I have a 10-year-old and a 4-year-old, and I know that my life over the last 34 years has been really good, and I've had access to good healthcare and kind people and all sorts of good things in between. Um, but knowing knowing that if it's cured in me means that it can be cured in my children were it to enter their life in that very specific way, uh, I would sleep better because of that. And I don't worry every day about my kids getting diabetes, but I just worry about them every day because I feel like that's just what I do as their mom. And um, it would it would take away a, a, a worry that, that just lingers in the background there. So sure. that would be awesome. But the thing about like when people say, oh, if I'm cured, I would go eat a this or a that. I'll eat that anyway. Like that's not the thing that keeps it. Diabetes doesn't keep me from eating or doing or whatever, but it, it does add this baseline level of concern and worry and anxiety to my life that I would really do a lot better without. So that would be cool to have that particular rug ripped right out. 
oh, yeah, like to lay on the beach and not have to think about my blood sugar and like drink a pina colada. I don't even like pina coladas, but just yeah. that's like good. I mean, okay. You drink so, one anyway, right? Just to be like right. drinking it. <laughs> Scott, what about you? I don't know. I, I think I could forget about it pretty quickly and pretty easily. Like there's so much in life that's, that's interesting and I could fill my, my quote unquote diabetes time with plenty of other stuff. Um, <laughs> I don't know what, what it would be exactly. Um, I, I also, I don't feel like I would rush right out and eat a certain, you know, X, Y, Z or whatever. Like I don't, there's nothing on my, on my big wish list that I feel like diabetes is, is holding me back from, but um, yeah, I mean, generally diabetes, it, it feels like it can be a big kind of distraction and pain in the ass. And I could, I could just chuck that right off my mental to-do list in a big hurry and be just fine. Yeah. And I want to say, okay, so again, going back to the two of you were so instrumental in me finding a voice And um, I feel like I have the privilege now to witness so many other advocates and other people. I didn't even know. I was like, when I got a t-shirt that said I was a diabetes advocate from, I can't remember, it might have been the Hands Foundation or something. I was like, what? All I'm doing is just talking about living with diabetes. I didn't know I was advocating for anything. So um, that obviously has changed because both of your voices have been very instrumental in how we and how things have progressed. So I want to ask, because it was quite a while ago, not to date, any of us, <laughs> but why did you decide to start your blogs? I mean, for me, it was really wrestling with these very vague and hard thoughts and feelings about living with diabetes as I, as I came into adulthood, started having children of my own, and, and I just was struggling to kind of cope with, with all of it. And I found writing to be a very effective form of therapy for me. And, and there, there's something um, about, about writing that kind of clarifies thoughts and feelings and, and putting them to words. There's a, a, a leadership coach uh, that I follow called Michael Hyatt. His name is Michael Hyatt. And he, and, and he has a saying that, uh, something like thoughts and feelings are clarified through lips and pencil tips. And I think that there's really something to that. And, and so I, and I, I just got kind of, kind of dumb lucky in that happened at the same time as blogger and, and WordPress and all these things happened. Um, I, I didn't really, you know, I've never been much of a journaler or anything like that. And, and I, but I have always been kind of a tech, guy and um like yeah I, why not do it online and the fact that you know I, I i do this kind of coping thing and then like holy cow there's hey there's another person with diabetes out there that yeah. says wow me too like i'm dealing with this too um so it just kind of happened on happy accident really And so your reasoning for the blog was not to be connected. And I no disrespect to the newer generations, but it's not about your influence and having 7,000 followers and all the things it's, it was, Hey, this is my way of journaling my diabetes life. And I, I can speak a weight off my shoulders because I can share this. Yeah. It's a purely, well, I mean, it's a, it's, it started as a selfish coping mechanism and I still, um, 
I'm still purely selfish about it in the, in that it's a very, it helps me cope. And, um, and the fact that it can help other people too. Sure. That's a, that is, that's, that's an amazing accident. And I love that. And I, and I will lean into that as much as I can. Um, And I really value the connections that I've made through it and the things that, 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 um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, know Carrie and Carrie's one of my dearest friends and mm. and I wouldn't know you Amber and you you know you're doing so much and 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 I value the things that you bring to the world and and um, there's so much that has come from it that I value but but it it started as a way for me to just cope with all this weird stuff that was floating around in my heart and in my head. Thank you Scott and Carrie what about you your reasons for starting the blog? I'll echo a lot of that. Um, And I'll just add to the fact that I was a chronic journaler. Well, even before my diagnosis, and I don't know if my husband knows, but there's like a, there's like a duffel bag in our closet that has, I don't, he's home. So I don't want to say it too loud because I don't want him to go and find it because there's weird shit in there. But like journals that I've kept since I was seven or maybe six. And, and I mean, there, there is some straight up fiction in there about like boys I loved in third grade. Like it was so intense. (laughs) Um, but so that's always been a way that I like to communicate. And then like, like Scott had said, the, uh, the, the mechanics of diabetes are, are one thing for me and I can do that without a whole lot of stress or feeling like that's a big burden, but the emotional stuff does hang heavy on me a lot. Mm. And writing is a way to process a lot of that for me. And I, I always wrote for an audience of, of one considering an audience of like potential people I was dating or employers or future mother-in-laws or that sort of stuff. But I really was writing just for me to get this stuff out of me so that I could make some sense of it. And I also thought that I was searching for stories about people who were living with diabetes. So I wanted to put like some of the experiences that I was at the time I was 25. And so I wanted to read about people who were going on dates who were talking about how to disclose diabetes at a potential new job or what do they do when they're telling it to a new friend or et cetera, like those life sorts of things. And so when I put diabetes into Google, then I got little more than a list of complications and reasons why my life would be compromised. And I found that so distressing, but I started in May of 2005. And so by the time I started to write in my blog, Scott was already online so I could find his voice and Amy Tenderich had already started writing diabetes mine. And so I could find her voice and there were several others. There's a woman named Violet who I connected with very deeply uh, and a couple of parenting bloggers, Shannon Lewis, Julia Zagara and Dee Herman. They weren't walking the same walk as me. Some of them were parents, some of them were men, women, you know, the whole thing. But like, I felt like I'd found this common peer group of people who knew what it was like to live with diabetes. And the focus was on living with diabetes. They were doing their normal life stuff and explaining or just telling anecdotes about what it was like to bring diabetes along on that ride. And I loved, loved, loved reading that because it made me feel less alone in my general circumstances here at home. No one in my family has diabetes. Generationally, in my extended family, there's no diabetes at school. I was the only kid for a long time that had diabetes. Like yeah. that network of people who got it didn't exist locally. And the internet broke away those barriers of geography and gave me access to people who I felt like lifted me up, especially when I felt like diabetes got very squishy and heavy. Well said. Absolutely <laughs> well said. And I think one of the things that I preach, for lack of a better term, uh, on a regular basis is uh, you know, I never knew how much I needed my diabetes community until I found it. My parents did never know and none of the really close people in my life, how much I was suffering in silence. 
And I never, you know, just saying that out loud, it gets emotional in that I wore this weight, this big backpack for a long time as from a kid. And so when I started to connect with people and I could sit across the table and have a glass of wine or lay by the pool or go for a hike with somebody who might be struggling with their blood sugar was this weird, just weight off my shoulders. And so, and it's allowed me to have the freedom, I feel like as an adult to walk into certain scenarios, whether that's dating online or um, starting a new career, to be able to put diabetes on the table and not be ashamed of it. And I think that if we were all to be a little bit more forthcoming with that, it would be an educational opportunity. And two, it, it just people would maybe understand a little bit more as to what we're, what we're struggling with. So I want to say, and when I originally approached the two of you, I had this whole thought of running a marathon. I've never done that. I don't want to either, but passing the baton. So I feel like you guys paved the way and started this whole just attention to the industry as a whole needed to hear from the patient. You were kind enough and brave enough to share your story. That has impacted me and let's just say a million other people living with diabetes and helped me find my voice. And now I look forward to continuing to pass that baton, but in a different way to the new advocates, the new people that are blogging. And it's crazy. There are like type one tender, you know, all these, you know, Facebook and social media groups because people want to connect. And I I just love that. So um, I say, sing my praise to you. Thank you so much for having the courage to do that. And um, going back to where we started, where you started, And where we are today when it comes to diabetes advocacy and how we share things, any major milestones that you've seen over the past couple of years or anything in in particular that made you want to get more involved? I think, you know, it's, it's funny to hear you talk about the batons because, um, because I've still got my baton. I'm not giving my baton (laughs) up, but the the thing is that there, yeah. yeah, But the thing is that there are, there are plenty of batons. There are enough batons for everybody. And, um, and it's a matter of like, where do you want to use your baton? And, and you can use your baton as many places and how, and as often as you want. This is getting like, (laughs) um, my baton. (laughs) Let me (laughs) say, but it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's funny because the, the, the way I think that there's incredible power in story, right? And so Carrie, you talked about when you Googled something early and, and found just medical stuff and, and, and lists of complications and uh, dry instructions on, on, you know, textbooks of how to do something. Right. And, and that was the case for me too. And, um, now, when you Google something or look something up on diabetes, you find that, that stuff, because that exists and it needs to, and there's, there's purpose for that and need for it. But you also find the lived experience mm. and that's, you know, that's, that's important. And that, you know, so we, we, those of us here on this call, but everyone else who has been um, brave enough to share their story has changed the world of diabetes for anyone that that needs to go out there and look for it, but along those same lines, I I, I want to 
also say that that we we weren't the first to do this, right? We're standing on the shoulders of those who came before us, and and the communicating about diabetes has always existed in just in different forms, right? So there's been all kinds of different ways people yeah, like those Usenet boards way before boards and I was born, <laughs> where people were sharing. <laughs> It's the same stuff that we do now, just through a different medium. And not yes. to, I don't mean to grab your baton real quick there. Yeah. But, um, but the, I think it's super important to acknowledge that, that we are not the first people who have decided to jump in and share our mm-hmm. stories. And the people sharing now will not be the last people to jump in and share yeah. their stories. There's a beautiful continuum that yep. we've had the pleasure of riding along on. But yeah, the, the Usenet boards, the forums, the Google groups, the Yahoo groups that existed Email back in the day when the internet made it. that beeper noise when you tried to log on, like it had that dial-up. That, I mean, that's that's well before before we were a part of this. Mm-hmm. But I do agree, and, and Scott, were, what you said earlier about there being a good timing to our decisions to start blogs mm-hmm. and the like the attention that started to shift towards blogs. That was some And I think that one of the things that, that came from that was, you know, it made it made our our living with diabetes stories more visible for people who who weren't necessarily members or didn't want to subscribe to a a usenet board or a mm-hmm. mailing list or whatever right and and um that also kind of coincided with <clears throat> with the the rise in personalized medication and 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 and, and medicine and and the need to just pay more attention to what people in the world want versus a, a fitting people into a box and, and that type of thing. So um, there's, there's more to come from all of this and, and, and yeah. we need the evolution of communicating about diabetes to continue for forever. And maybe I should think about it in a different way in that it's not about passing the baton because like I said, I'm gripping my baton like really tight because I love having the opportunity to connect with so many people, but maybe it's an opportunity as some of us who are, I say type one dinosaurs and that's not an insult, but we've lived with it for so long and a lot of newly diagnosed people or parents of newly diagnosed have often see it as a death sentence. So we're walking proof that yes, you can live with diabetes over the decades and maybe we just are the mentors and I'm not here to tell anybody what to do or how to do anything because I'm thankful to be alive <laughs> through some of those years. But um, we, I would like to believe, and I, I don't say this egotistically, but that we give people a glimpse of hope. Complication. I mean, I, I don't mean to be dark, but we're all going to die. Is it going to be from diabetes complications? I sure as hell hope not. But, I'm sorry I'm laughing at you saying, oh, we're all going to die. And I'm like, hee hee, that's inappropriate. But <laughs> I mean, eh, 2020, you know, it's just on the doorstep. Yeah, on the doorstep some days. Um, it's just one of those things. It's like, it's not the death sentence that I feel like I was given in 1984. And so for the people that are listening, I've lived my life to the fullest. I, you know, do you feel like type one diabetes has kept you from doing anything in your life? Honestly? Yes. What? Aside from making insulin, which is the big obvious ding ding ding. (laughs) I will admit freely that I did not enjoy being pregnant. I love my children. I, I love being their mom and having the chance to be their mom. But I worried like crazy during the course of my pregnancy. And so much of it was related to diabetes. And right. so if I could have had the chance to have a non-diabetic pregnancy, I would have paid big money for that. <laughs> right. Because it, it, made a, it made a very 
I think stressful for anyone who, you know, most pregnant people seem to have some moments of stress, but I think they were just, um, they were intense for me and I did not dig that. So as soon as my kids were born, both of them, I'm like, thank God they seem safer outside of me than inside of me. And so that is one thing that I would definitively have changed. But that's kind of it, which is nice to look back at 34 years with diabetes and go, that's the only thing. And I still got that done. Check. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question um, because I do think that it shaped a lot of decisions that I made growing up, specifically around employment and insurance. Mm. Um, I also think that there are big segments of the population that, um, you know, those who aspire to, to, um, to do certain professions that where diabetes makes those professions much harder pilots or um, things like that. And and there's progress happening there, but it's slow progress. So, so I do, I I very much agree with and see where you're going with that. But I think that there's caveats there where for some people um, it, it, it's, it is, it makes it much harder. And, And I think of our Carrie, our mutual friend, George, right? So he had his, his, dream was after high school to go into the air force and he was diagnosed right right as he was trying to enter the air force and it just it just it messed up his whole plans and and i will you know i always think about that so i think it's it so yes that like anything is possible but you know Mm -hmm. yeah and i and i i mean i realize my answer comes like laced with personal experience, which is you, I mean, Scott, you've known me a long time. There's no way I would ever want to fly in a plane or to be in command of a plane, <laughs> not a good flyer. Right. And I, I had no interest in going in the military either. So some of those big pillars of concern weren't, weren't on my plate, but that kind of speaks to how diabetes is for everybody, which is, it's not the same for everybody and everybody's experiences are what shape their perception. And that goes all the way back to why it's so important that there are so many people sharing their stories, their personal stories about life with diabetes, because there are so many flavors to this condition that like seeing and yeah. tasting to take the metaphor all the way through, like getting, getting a feel for everybody's different experiences is so good for your own personal perspective. And I think it's really important for people to be reading all kinds of different takes on this, this life. Yeah, that's a huge point that, uh, you know, you bring up perspective and that I think is one of the, the biggest things that, that the online space has done for me is perspective. It's, it's mm-hmm. brought so many different perspectives. And when I'm, when I'm struggling with something and, and uh, one to know that I'm not the only one struggling with that, right. That makes mm-hmm. me feel normal, which, mm-hmm. which helps me continue yeah. just knowing that, okay, this is a normal part of diabetes. I'm not broken or I'm not extra broken. Um, I can, I need to just keep pushing through this. This is a normal thing. But, but then I also can see different perspectives and I might be able to approach whatever I'm struggling with from a different angle or different point of view. And, and that has been tremendously helpful for me over the years. Yeah, I'll echo that. That's so well said. When I got into the game seven-ish years ago, I think about again, going back to diabetes advocacy and what did that look like and me not even know what the term actually meant and where we are today. So I love to see this, I'm going to say new movement, but a wave of new advocates and people coming in. So as someone like yourselves who have been very active, any pieces of advice 
just someone wanting to have more of a voice or how to approach things? That's, I know that's a weird one, but well, I, I'll try to encourage. I'll open gently with, with two things. The first is that there's no small change. And so if you are able to uh, tell your story and it changes the life of someone, even if that person is just you, that is change worth leaning into and embracing. Um, if you're able to write to a congressperson and they consider opening your letter, that's pretty good. Like, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing small that you can do in terms of advocacy that isn't worth pursuing. Like, like that was so many double negatives. Let me re-say that. Everything's worth giving a shot for. You want to try all of it. Everything is useful to do. Um, and then the other thing is, and our friend, again, mutual friends, we have a lot of mutual friends, Sky, our mutual friend, Sheree Shockley, mm-hmm. uh, it, she always encourages me and the people that she's talking to, to know your why. And I think that's a really important concept to have in your head as you're doing things. Know why you want to do these things. Know your motivation for wanting to share your story and really be honest with yourself about what you want to get out of this. Are you looking for peer connection and to feel less alone? Are you looking for industry attention? Are you looking to be able to quit your quote unquote day job and make advocacy something that um, puts food on your table? Like know, know what your goals are. And none of those goals are bad. There's a range of things that people want to get out of this sort of um, diabetes experience that's taking it down this path. But it's, it's good to know what you want to get out of it. And it helps you be gentle when you like all, if all you want to do is tell your story, not all, but if you want to tell your story and you're not expecting a paycheck out of it, be content with the fact that you can do that well and you don't have to do everything. You don't have to be yeah. a powerhouse influential person in the legislative bodies and you don't have to be great at this and tell your story in 50 different ways. Just do what works for you and like mean it. Yeah, I think, and that's one of the reasons and was not intentional when we first started the podcast that real life diabetes, we wanted to tell the real story as I burped through the first couple of episodes, I mean, uh, and, you know, being so brutally honest, I've cried through a lot of them too. I've, I feel like I've kind of grown up a little bit and, but this curse word still come out. Thankfully I don't have to put explicit when I post one very often. <laughs> so you started your podcast seven years ago. Uh, yeah. So are you willing to update the tagline to be like burping through podcasts since 2000, whatever? Because I mean, you're primed for that. Well, I think I could throw in a burp every once in a while, but I rarely drink craft beer. And it's just the good beers that make me really gassy, I guess. At least it's a burp, not a toot, I guess. I don't know. God, please edit that out. But um, Leave it in. (laughs) I mean, I just want to be my authentic self. And I think that um, one of the great things about I feel comfortable being vulnerable when it comes to those things. And I know that both of you have as well. That's where the connectivity happens because I'm not putting on a fake face. There are bad days. Damn, there are some bad days. And I will say coming into this, I was saying to this to Scott before the uh, Carrie, you chimed in. I was looking at my blood sugar. It was 145 air straight down. And I'm like, damn, I'm not going to go into this interview sounding wonky and so I downed a bunch of orange juice and then you know 45 minutes later it's arrow straight up being able to share those things and also hearing other people talk about their hiccups with their blood sugar or they tried something new and just being able to chime in every once in a while we all manage it differently and I'm never giving anybody medical advice but there are a lot of things that when we share our stories in, especially in private settings, people might not have known that was diabetes related. They just thought this is how my body works. Okay, well, there are other ways to manage your diabetes to make it a better situation or at least something to try. With that being said, like I've never been on an insulin pump. 
I have always been MDI and have managed my diabetes, I would like to believe pretty good. Um, both of you have been very engaged when it comes to diabetes management tools. And so are you both currently on, and you don't have to say brands, insulin pump therapy? I think Scott's I'm generally, every insulin pump ever. I'm going to let him know. Yeah, I'm, I'm generally an early adopter. I love technology and I, I love um, experimenting with stuff. I, I also, um, you know, feel, feel well-versed and, and um, able to kind of keep an eye on things and, and whatnot. So I, I am using a sensor. I'm using um, a version of the, the automated uh, DIY closed loop system and, and, um, and, and I enjoy it. It's, it's, it's working well for me at present. And I, and I love the fact that, um, that we, uh, the collective we of diabetes as a whole is, is looking to leverage technology to, um, to offload some diabetes management that has for many decades been having to happen in my brain. Um, yeah. it feels, I feel a, a tremendous sense of relief, uh, from that. Yeah, and I, um, I wear a, a tandem pump. I have a, like a sponsorship agreement with them. I feel compelled to make sure I include that as I yeah. talk about them during a year when I have that. But, um, the control IQ thing, we, that phrase that you just used, Scott, offloading some of that, I feel like a lot of the technology has helped me do a lot of mental offloading. So control IQ is making like decisions to regulate my blood sugar and I don't have to think about it as much. And that's like turned down the burner that was on in my brain on high for a long time. And I felt the same way about CGM when I was able to get those results and get like streaming video of my blood sugars versus those crappy Polaroid snapshots that I was taking every time I prick my finger. Like that was awesome. Yeah. Um, I remember when the, the short needles came out, the, the microfine needles, I was like, yes! damn, these are awesome. Like who gets excited about little pokey bits? But I was very excited. So I don't know. I think it's exciting. It's exciting when I think about how far things have come. And then when I think about how quickly things are happening, like the last 34 years, a bunch of things have happened, but so many of the big ones that I rely the most on have happened in the last like five or six years. And that's awesome that we're moving exponentially. And I'm stoked about that because I want to offload more. Yeah, absolutely. We have so much, we have so much. um, I am also um, very excited and um, but but at the same time, we have so much room for improvement, right? So uh, at the end of the day, we're still stabbing ourselves with sharp metal objects and bleeding on things. And that is very barbaric, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's this big contrast between how far we've come, yet we have so much uh, so much room left to go. And, and on that note, I, I do want to make sure that I also disclose and, and throw a quick disclaimer out there um, that I work for my sugar, which is part of the Roche diabetes care family, but all opinions expressed in this episode are mine and they're not the opinions of my employer. I appreciate and respect both of you for saying that. And that will also be put in the show notes. So for the people that are listening, there's a lot that goes into working with companies and Still real-life diabetes, and uh, I think one of the reasons that I feel so compelled, especially with this 100th episode, is because a lot of people maybe don't know if they're not as involved, all of the advancements that are currently in place, all the research studies, 
all of the CGM trials. I mean, all of these things take a really long time. And I know the frustration for a lot of people with, I'm going to say insulin prices and things like that, that are hot topics. Please know that there are a lot of us in the background that are witnessing. And I am very optimistic for the future as to what uh, diabetes management is going to be. And that's one of the reasons why I specifically chose to launch this episode the first thing in the new year. 2020 was a shit show, period. My diabetes, shit show at times. But with that being said, as we roll into 2021, I want to just, I'm starting a fresh page and this is a year of hope. What does that look like for you? I don't know, but you need to set your own goals. And, and what do those things look like? And I'm not saying go re- lose 45 pounds if you need to. Good for you. But this is more of let's not be angry. Let's have a positive face to the new year. And if we, can, if we work together and stop blaming, then maybe we will see more advancements in a more timely fashion. So is there anything that you're looking forward to in the new year? either personally or with your diabetes management? One of my favorite phrases is time will tell. And so I am often one who will just kind of lay back in the cut and see what, just see what develops, right? The story is often way more complicated than what we see right. uh, in general, right? So diabetes, life, everything, right? There's always more to the story. And, um, and time will tell. And so I'm not one that is quick to rush to a decision or jump to conclusions or, or throw my voice into the mix. You know, sometimes I like to just sit back for a bit and, and, and oftentimes that's because I'm yet, I'm not sure where I, where I stand on an issue and I need time to sort it out and, Mm -hmm. and I'm okay with that. So, um, so my, my stance entering the new year is I'm just going to just lay back in the cut, see what happens, uh, work on keeping my family safe and healthy and myself safe and healthy and, and see how it all shakes out. Thank you, Scott. Carrie, what about you? I am so lonely in this house and 2020 has been, um, people have gone through some, some really difficult times and my family has been very fortunate that we have not lost anyone uh, personal, I mean, no one, no one has dealt with the pandemic in a personal way, uh, but everyone in my family is dealing with the pandemic in an emotional way. And so we've been shut and to not be able to mention it on a podcast seems disingenuous because it is the, it is the permanent elephant in the room. And so um, I'm going to just make sure that I mention it. I am very much looking forward to getting out of my house. I'm very much looking forward to reintegrating my children into social settings. I'm really jazzed to take a vaccine to protect me and my family from, from COVID uh, I am down for this like a hundred percent and I want to rejoin the world. And if 2020 has taught me anything and I, I don't want to pull silver linings from something that has sucked, but they're still there. So I can't pretend that it hasn't, haven't learned some stuff. It is that like the people in my house are the most important people to me in the world. And I, I think about how much I have traveled over the last couple of years and been away from my family and how much um, attention I have paid to things that I, in retrospect, wish that I had refocused back to my kids and my husband. And I have learned that lesson this year that we are a team in this house and we are going to be a team forever going forward. And, and like Scott had said, he wants to make sure that his family is safe and healthy. My, my team needs to make sure that they are, they are doing the same. And I'm hoping that um, 
next year we can get together and integrate more of our teams together and we can start to hug one another again and put some of this shit show, which used to be the phrase of the moment yeah. behind us. But I'm, I'm really hoping that people will lead hard in terms of being kind to one another and like acknowledging the humanity of, of one another, because um, I miss, I miss people. And I think that we can do better when we're working as a, as a team. And that's not a commentary on any particular topic, just like, damn, we're lonely here. And I can't wait to see people smiling faces instead of just seeing their smizing through the eyes because I, I can't yeah. see their teeth. <laughs> well, I have to say, like, um, I'm a part of a women's support group that I, is every Wednesday night, and I love them. So there's a great group of women, all T1Ds. And what I have learned from that group is, I mean, I just, I would do anything for them. I would do anything for them. And they're all over the world. And I, I really love that. And um, they're all kind of suffering right now. And that connectivity and when we're talking about, we start with a rose and a thorn, and I just love that whole thing. It, it makes me connect to people a little bit differently. And then I host the happy hour every Thursday, which is more shits and giggles, and let's play trivia and have a good time. But again, I get to sit across, unfortunately, just the computer, but we laugh with each other. We know that Lauren is always going to dominate trivia, and Michelle is going to be this. And it, I love that. And so one of the things, as we wrap up this episode, I've been reading a, a self-help book because that's what I do. And it has nothing to do with diabetes, but it really, this, this little quote, and I'll put it in the show notes and be respectful of the author, but it's um, the thing that made me think about just my diabetes and my life moving forward is feel the fear, endure the discomfort, observe the resistance, and do it anyway such a simple, I mean, and maybe I'm a deeper person than I thought I was, or I'm not. And I'm just pretending, I don't know. It was just like, oh my gosh, what am I fearful about today? How am I still going to tackle it? And how do I let this ego roll off my shoulders and to be this person? And so th with that being said, I think that's one of the reasons why I really connected with both of you. If just reading your stories is because you shared a, a real look into life with diabetes and you have no idea and maybe you do the lives that you've changed and are continuing to change as you continue your life as advocates. So if there's any last thing you'd like to say as we are now in 2021 or rolling into 21, any last uh, thoughts? Well, thank you, Amber, for um, offering us this, this opportunity and and for those of you listening um someone out there needs your voice needs your story they don't want to hear me they want to hear you and and you have something to offer them that i can't give them and so uh find find a way to connect with them if you feel so so called to do so um because they they will connect with you and only you can give them that yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and to add to it, that being, being part of the diabetes community doesn't necessarily mean that you have to put all of your information out there. Mm -hmm. You don't have to share your name or your own diagnosis story, but just by reading and sharing what you read that resonates for you and maybe reaching out to the person that wrote it or shared it or made it um, to, to connect with them. Like there's, there, The community isn't just the voices that you're hearing and the faces that you're seeing. It's, it's the people who are reading and engaging in their own small groups and in their own pockets of, of family, that this is much bigger than just the podcasts and the blogs and the YouTube videos. It's for every single person who has ever felt alone and looked on the internet to see and confirm that they weren't. So 
I'm really excited to see how many new voices join, join the choir, so to speak, for next year, and how we as a broad group can continue to lift one another up and share voices uh, you know, that are different from ours, the same as ours, and everywhere in between. Like I always say, there's uh, more room in the sandbox for all of us. And um, the more we can rally together, hold hands or, you know, arm to arm, we will see a lot of change in the future. And I look forward to, oddly to say, the future of diabetes care and advocacy and all the things, because I think that this past year or two, maybe just because I'm more engaged, I had seen so much more and so much, a different energy. And um, I'm so thankful to, to know the two of you. So thank you so much for taking time to join the podcast and thank you for being my hundredth unicorn episode. I, I'm coming up with a theme song in my mind. Like it's going to be really <laughs> whiny probably. And Do you burp during it? Cause I think I will burp. Be <laughs> you will be a good worse. And if you decide to burp, put it on, um, you know, record it and send it to me. We will have a group burp. Oh my God. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Actually that's gross at the same time. <laughs> This is where I may need to bring my kids in because they'll be awesome at that part of it. Right. Yeah. No force burp. Well, so Amber, great. thank you so much for, for having us. I really, really am honored to be part of this discussion and all the burps. Well, thankfully, I made it through this episode without burping. You're welcome. <laughs> I do my best to surround myself with kind souls who make each day on this planet a better one. And interviewing Scott and Carrie was a great way to kick off 2021 with a bang. I seriously want to be like them when I grow up. (laughs) I don't see that happening anytime soon though. Just saying. Thank you both for joining me on this epic 100th unicorn episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. Before I wrap up, I do have a few quick reminders. Number one, I would be incredibly grateful if you helped kick off the new year with a donation. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. Number two, be sure to check out the affiliates page, which is updated regularly with new partners. If you would like to join this list of reputable brands, please shoot us an email to Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. Number three, the Real Life Diabetes Virtual Happy Hour takes place every Thursday from 5 to 6.15 p.m. Central Standard Time. Be sure to register by clicking the Happy Hour logo in the show notes. And finally, Great things are in your future. I just know it. And hope this episode reminds you, you are not alone. I'm here for you. So feel free to contact me on any social media platform or directly anytime at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com. Connecting with you makes my heart happy. Your continued support and love are the reason I keep the episodes coming. Thank you. Happy New Year, everyone. Cheers to the highs and lows. It's a daily grind, it's a daily grind, it's a daily grind and a grind.